When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Lumber is going to challenge steel and concrete over the next 50 years. Like they will take some of steel and concrete's market share away. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Eric Chemi. Today, I'm excited because lumber is one of those key economic indicators that doesn't get a lot of attention, not as much as it should, because all the data points that we look at, housing starts, you know, construction, all these things, it always starts with lumber. So if we can get a handle on lumber, we can get a very early handle on what's going on in the broader economic picture. So I'm, I'm really excited because Kyle Little is joining me today. He's the chief operating officer of Sherwood Lumber, and he's a fourth generation lumberman. He's, his family goes way back in the industry, but he studied finance. So his whole career has been on the intersection of finance and lumber and economics and trading and hedging and all of that stuff. So, so Kyle, thank you so much for joining me today because I don't know anything about lumber. I know it's made out of wood. <laughs> I know it's made for houses and that's pretty much it. So thank you for joining me. And I hope you can uh, hang with me on some of the basic questions that I have and that hopefully the audience has as we think both micro and macro about it. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it and happy to uh, share how we make round things into little square things and uh, help build our, uh, our, our overall economy uh, from the ground up, literally. The first question really is, why do we build houses out of lumber, right? Because there's steel, there's all these engineered materials. Some new houses have plastic now. Why is it that we do wood? It feels like something that we would have done a thousand years ago, but we would have moved on by now. Right. Um, well, I think the biggest thing in regard to why we build from lumber is one is the, the forests are plentiful. We, it's, a, it's a resource that's easily available. It's relatively uh, over the last 200 plus years or, or beyond as we uh, started this country, it was easy to uh, find, easy to harvest, um, manufacture into lumber, and then ultimately build our communities. And um, the simple fact is lumber is very light but it's very strong. And it um, is something if built, engineered properly, can last for centuries, not literally decades, not, not decades. So it's something that, you know, quite frankly, is uh, just been uh, the, the most easy resource to go out there and get to the marketplace in order to build our uh, communities and continues to be a strong uh, opportunity for us to continue to build that as, as we move forward. Now, things do change depending on where people live and building codes and, and what have you, why they don't use lumber. But I would venture to guess in about 95% of all building, regardless of where it is uh, around the world, lumber is used in some form or fashion. What are the macroeconomic correlations, predictive abilities? What can lumber tell us? Is it, hey, if there's higher demand for lumber, then all of a sudden we know that six months later, housing starts, picks up, or the, the GDP goes up. What are some of the data points that you've been looking at in terms of those correlations? Yeah. So I think if you look at lumber, typically over a long period of time, now up until the most recent past, we didn't have the crazy volatility that we had uh, uh, during the, that COVID uh, side, but we still had substantial volatility, meaning that price would move anywhere from 30, 40, 50% on any given year. Um, it's just, you know, during the COVID uh, pandemic that that moved more to like four and five X. But um, 
All that being said, those inflection points, when lumber was in high demand and low supply, it typically t represented some sort of inflection point in the general economic activity, meaning something was happening. So there was more building needs, demand was more consumption, generally speaking. And um, and let's face it, the, the home, which where lumber is, is typically a home building story, um, that uh, it's, a, it's a big investment for the majority of all of us in, in the world, it's probably our single largest investment, at least first investment. And uh, when those things happen, that means they're, the, the consumer's um, healthy and they are putting those efforts to get themselves in place so they have stable shelter for uh, years to come. When you look at the current data right now, what is it telling you about the economic forecast? A lot of our conversations on this channel is you know, that, that macro vibe, right? What, what are right. we looking at for the next 6, 12, 18 months? And how's the Fed going to react on employment, inflation, all that? What are you seeing in the data points? And then I'll ask you separately, what are you hearing about anecdotally in your conversations with other right. executives? So I'm going to take kind of a step backwards a little bit based off that, just to give you a little bit of history, recent history, I think that a lot of people could talk about. And that would be during the pandemic. And when I say early in the pandemic, in 2020, early 2021, when uh, this idea, you know, uh, Chairman Powell brought out transitory inflation and things of those things of that nature. And uh, <clears throat> what we were seeing in lumber at that time, which lumber was the, one of the first commodities to really, really accelerate. I mean, when I was traveling around, whether I'd been at a baseball game with my children, everybody would be whispering, can you see what lumber prices are doing? It's going crazy. And, and it was. So we were seeing prices of a two before eight, which historically a two before eight is an item that is used in a stud wall. It's one of the most commonly used lumber items in the marketplace. That price doubled in that in that early uh, stage, and then all, it tripled and quadrupled, and and it was very apparent in the um, at the consumer level what was happening in regard to lumber. And what we found over that period of time was in analyzing it was yes, this was unheard of in regard to the actual scope of the move, but when you have times of high demand and low supply. What could happen in lumber, typically in order for that supply chain to come back together into equilibrium, it typically takes somewhere between 24 and uh, 32 months. And uh, in the early days of transitory inflation, you know, we, we talked about this um, quite openly on national media. Uh, about how this is not something that's going is is just transitory. This is the change of a cyclical bull wave, and that, that they typically last somewhere between that eighteen and uh, I'm sorry, somewhere between that twenty four and thirty two month period. Uh, that quote unquote transitory uh, inflation that we saw in lumber lasted for that cyclical time exactly twenty eight months. So it was very very apparent and that so it essentially ended in late. Um, early late 2021, early 2022. And since then, lumber has been in the process of right sizing or what I have called the great reset and getting back to its what would be back to its normal range with which lumber typically has always traded at or slightly above the cost to get the product to market. Right. So and uh, and we're back there now. And uh, we've been uh, uh, today, I think, is the 20 first month of that uh, downward cycle. So in typically cycles in on the downside only last somewhere between 15 and 18 months. So we are right now kind of overextended in the uh, uh, in this uh, reset and getting the market back into equilibrium. Uh, in all likelihood, we feel like uh, um, sometime between now and the uh, second quarter of next year, uh, we'll see a substantial change in the market dynamics where uh, there will be more demand than what the supply that's in the marketplace to cover. Yeah, I appreciate hearing that analysis. But one thing I never heard before, you said two before eight. Are you saying a two by four eight or two before eight? What are you saying? So lumber, just to go back into layman terms, lumber is, is measured, at least here in the United States, in inches, so uh, and so the nominal, uh, the nominal uh, width of the lumber is four inches. The thickness is two inches, so two inches by four inches wide by eight feet long. And so oh, that, that would be typically an item that was used here uh, in, to build an eight foot a, a floor of a home that's eight foot tall. 
I see. So when I'm saying or thinking two by four, it's really an eight foot length of that two by four that we're talking Correct. about. Correct. And then you said typically it would trade just above the cost that it would actually, the cost of production. So to me, that sounds like there's very little margin then if it trades at cost of production. Yeah. So if you look at historically pr prior to COVID, um, lumber traded plus or minus 10% below or above the cost of, to get the goods to the marketplace. So it was all about equilibrium, having the correct amount of supply to meet the uh, current demand in the marketplace. Um, what we saw during COVID when the prices quadrupled and uh, 5X, depending on the item, is that there was so little supply in the system when the marketplace needed it that uh, um, the, the demand that was so high that they would overpay anything to get that product to cover the jobs that were in the marketplace. So it was more or less um, a product of not having the material in the marketplace when the marketplace needed it. And it was something that was unprecedented at that time because the play for many sawmills and distributors uh, alike was to, uh, in times of uncertainty, what's the first thing you do from a financial perspective? You turn everything to cash. So meaning you have little to no inventory and you wanna make sure that you shore up your cash on your books so you're in a position to have <clears throat> some dry powder. The whole industry did that. But what happened, as we all know, during COVID, the economy continued to go on. There's no way you can stop a, a, an economy, let alone a world economy. Uh, and we continued to build and build and build. And we were already prior to COVID on a trend of a very positive nature and housing starts um, somewhere between 1.5 and 1.6 at that time to only uh, spike to near 1.7 during COVID. I remember thinking about all the people that moved to the suburbs, yeah, outside of the city, for example, I need more space, it's COVID, I'm working from home, I need an extra bedroom, and everybody was trying to buy a house. Those prices skyrocketed, and everybody was trying to do a renovation, right? And all of a sudden, you can't get lumber, or lumber is double, triple the cost, and it crushed people on budgets, right? It, you started with a renovation, then here comes COVID, now your renovation price has changed mid-project, and what are you supposed to do? So. I think a lot of us saw that, if not directly experienced that. If we, now let's say ignore COVID. Now, if we go back four years before we had heard of COVID, where are we now in that, in that sort of point to point? Are we, are we higher? Are we lower? Where is the price of lumber right now compared to pre-pandemic? Yeah, so pre-pandemic, we're sitting, um, we wouldn't be the lows of the, uh, the pre-pandemic, but we're right in the middle of the range. Uh, and we, I would say that we've already seen the bottom of this overcorrection to the downside, um, meaning uh, why? Why would I say that? Because we are at or below the cost of production for m much of the forest products mills today in North America. So just today, there was an announcement by Canfor uh, that they're taking uh, their Polar BC uh, facility uh, and they're having a, a wind down of that over the next six months. And it's been noted that we've seen there will be upwards of 4 billion board feet um, taken out of the marketplace in, in Western Canada uh, over the last two years and, uh, and continued um, challenges in the Pacific Northwest and Eastern Canada as well because we are so close or below um, break even. When, when you look at those data points, then what does that say in terms of if someone's, hey, I might want to buy the S&P 500 or, or treasury bills, or what do I think the Fed's going to do? What is that telling you about where you see the economy? Is there a big enough predictive nature post-pandemic with the, the system stabilized? Can you use that information to, to make a trade, for example, right. can you make a macro trade based on that? So I'll share, like I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier on a question in regard to consumption. And um, we peaked in 2021 in the amount of lumber that's consumed in the United States. And I just want to point out that of all the lumber consumed on an annual basis, some close to 80% would go into home construction uh, or shelter, for example, in the United States. So whether it's repair and remodel, which a lot of people don't look at closely, but that is the number one use for lumber in all of the United States is repair and remodel. Re More repair and remodel, repair remodel is the number one use. Correct. Not new homes. Correct. 41% okay. of the current 
of the total um, fiber basket in the United States, which is north of 60 billion board feet, 41% it goes into repair and remodel. Like in the mid thirties, mid to low thirties would go into new home construction. And you would see on the national media today, most of the focus is on new home construction. You think that's a, a bad focus? You think it's I, it's sort of misplaced or it's I, easier to understand? Tangible? I think it's easier to understand. I do believe that there is starting to be there. Some um, people are starting to recognize what that means and how the market is segmented. So the big boxes, Depot and Lowe's, gate, cater to the high percentage of their volume that they would sell in lumber and forest products goes to the DIY repair and remodel. It's not going to the DR Hortons or the Lennars of the world, right? It's going to an independent contractor that's going and, and putting an addition on a home in, you know, Northern New Jersey or wherever across the country for the vast majority. Um, but they are dabbling in the pro segment and, 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 and getting more business in the, um, I would say it more to the regional um, single family home built construction, but um, the vast majority of what they do is that. So I think that generally speaking, the industry knows that and they use Depot and Lowe's as kind of the bellwether, the benchmark to determine what's the real DIY repair and remodel market look like at any given time. The reason we saw the biggest uptick in lumber prices, or should I say demand on the demand curve in the pandemic was not because of new construct, new home construction. It was because it was a once in a lifetime event where every one of us, like we could do something to better our home or to, we had all of the chores, the honey do list of the things that were sitting there. Not only we did we have time to do it, it was almost like, why not do it? I have nothing else to do. And all of that demand came into the depots and lows, and you saw the tremendous amount of uh, increase and uh, uh, in uh, the pull through those uh, through those parts of the supply chain. You mentioned a, a couple of things that I want to break down. So fiber basket, you said the word fiber basket. What exactly does that mean? Explain that. So I use that as a term. Um, so North America is the largest consuming forest products market in the world. And right now we're consuming roughly 60, a little over 60 billion board feet. I think we peaked around 60, just under 65 in 2021. And um, in the wood basket, I call is all the lumber, all the fiber, whether it be raw timber or, and then finished product that's consumed here in the United States. And, uh, and it comes from multiple sources. Um, a high percentage in the early part of my career would have come from Canada, with the United States being the second largest. Um, now that has flip-flopped. Canada is still a large supplier of product to the United States market, but their timber costs are extremely high. Uh, whereas the cheapest timber in the world today, the cheapest trees that you can buy are on the Southern Yellow Pine plantations in the southeastern states of the United States. So that's why over the last 10 years, when uh, they recognized, many of the Canadian producers recognized that they are, had only a limited amount of supply for the next 30 years, we should reinvest into uh, areas where there's, where there's a lot of forest, cheap fiber, and will sustain us. Uh, because many of these sawmills don't look at, from a strategic point of view, they're not like, there for the next five years. They're looking, they have a hundred, typically have hundred year plans because they're looking at their timber basket and what they're sawing versus what they're planting and how long it takes to cycle that plantation into a usable product. Um, and the transition to the, to the U.S. South is, is, is part of, uh, you know, the change in dynamics in the marketplace today. And then you mentioned Home Depot and Lowe's. I've heard from people, I don't know if this is true because I've never been a contractor. They'll say, hey, you know, that quality is not as good. You got to go to the local expert lumber guy, not the place where you can buy light bulbs and toilet seat covers. What's the truth, right? And maybe you can't name <laughs> names, but, but uh, like, is that quality the same? What's going on there? The quality is the same. It's like it's coming from the same same sawmill that the that other lumber yard buys from. Um, I would say that the difference is that uh, the local lumber yard is going to probably cater his uh, or her um, sales opportunity to your needs a little bit better than the national chain is is most likely going to do. And you know, for a 
a person that's going to go and build a single family home, particularly a custom built home, you know, working closely with your, your local builder and your local lumber yard uh, provides tremendous opportunities and uh, convenience as opposed to, you know, possibly dealing with, you know, something on the national chain. I, I can tell you from personal experience, I renovated a project and I did bought everything from one of the boxes and it was challenging uh, to make sure that you had the product there at the same time, where if you have uh, that local touch, I think it's probably a little bit easier. So it wasn't a quality of wood issue. It was just a service and timing and coordination issue. And, and also, I think in, back in the during the pandemic was the supply. He who had the supply was able to sell the product. Right. And uh uh, the box stores have a tremendous amount of uh, supply that's uh, that is contracted with them, uh, and they were able to um, take away substantial market share from some other local people that didn't have it. And then you mentioned, you know, Dr. Horton, Lenar. We had a conversation with Bill Pulte the other day, and I think if I remember right, he said something about the bigger companies were able to hedge those lumber prices in, into the future, so they were able to deal with the inflation they were able to deal with the supply shock a little bit better Ex explain that you know is that true is that you know the experience that you saw and how exactly are they able to do that i mean i think about airlines with their with their oil futures and then the fuel hedging and all that is it a similar similar kind of method there i think in well one we're very very active in regard to hedging our risk uh, whether it's in the purchasing of extra cash inventory or offsetting it with long futures contracts in order to offset a, a future a, a sale that we have uh, committed to uh, sometime down the road so um, that that tool in itself uh, is invaluable to to our organization's success and I believe can be for many others as well so like the the somebody like Bill Pulte to talk about that I think it's an amazing thing I th think it from a home building perspective to go out there and um, flatline their cost structure on commodity goods is is the right thing to do. Like every airline does it on their fuel. Every farmer, I mean, you talk about the best hedgers in the in all of commodities. It's the American farmer and how that they go out there and make sure they understand what their input costs are, and then they go and sell their product to 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 the uh, consortium, you know, through a futures contract. So. Um, I truly believe in it. Uh, I'm very active in it. Uh, we um, have a high percentage of our business that relies on it. And it's something I think is uh, imperative uh, for anybody who wants to go out there and deal with volatility and, and commodity goods. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You, you mentioned these 100-year plans for some of these big you know, timber yards it reminds me of just the, the the classic saga, right? About, hey, we shouldn't be cutting down trees, right? Don't waste paper and you're killing trees and all this. Lumber is literally, you're killing trees. But I've, I've heard also people say to me, look, we're, we are making trees alive. We grow the trees because we're cutting them down. Right. Well, and if we didn't have any use for trees, we'd actually have less of them. I've heard people say, they don't do the clear cuts anymore where you just take half the forest, wipe it out. They have more of like a pin prick. You take this tree, you take that tree. He said, if you flow, if you were to fly over one of these, these yards, the forest, you would not even see one or two trees missing because they're just selectively grabbing them in the middle. Explain the, I guess, the eco-friendliness or, or not, or maybe the advancements of, of how these lumber yards are operating compared to or, you know, the, the, the farms, right? The tree right. farms compared to maybe 50 years ago. So, so you have little kids and you like Dr. Seuss and you probably read the Lorax, right? The guy that's going out there and, and, and speaking for the trees because the Wansler is going out there and cutting everything down. That is probably was like that in the, in the 17, 1800s industrial revolution when there was this high demand for lumber. I looked at a chart from the US Forestry Department. I think the highest amount of timber we ever had in, in the North America was sometime in the uh, early to late 1600s. Um, since early 1900s, we've had this, the forest has been not only 
the same. It has grown in its size over that 100-year period. So with all the stuff that we're cutting, um, my understanding is from right now, for every one tree we cut down, there are 10 new trees planted. And uh, But where? Where are they being planted? They must be being planted somewhere else. Someone's got to buy this land to do that, right? Okay. So let's go back to the land. Yeah. So, to, so today the landowners like in North America and for, forest products, that 60 billion board feet that's consumed in the United States, some of it comes from Europe, some of it comes from Canada. But I just want to point out the, of the 20 largest landowners, step back, the, pro, the fiber that comes into the majority of our industry comes from private land. So 58% of the land in North America is privately held. The rest would be public. 89% of that 58% is where the lumber comes from. So the, I was just looking before this call, I just kind of wanted to get a, a grasp of who are these people that own these, the largest landowners in North America? 12 out of the top 20 are forest pro products related. The other eight, are typically ranchers that own big tracts of land for cattle. So two major commodities, one being lumber, the other being food and cattle, right? So it's pretty, quite interesting. Um, so you asked the question, where are these trees planted? The trees are literally, these forests are farms, they're plantations. And what a lot of people don't realize is that what's happening is they will cut, sometimes they will clear cut a hundred acres at a time, not like, and then next to each other, but in certain spots. And then they will go in the net the following summer and uh, till that land, and they will have a team that goes in and replants it in a plantation. Today, um, the, the Southern Yellow Pine Forest in uh, Mississippi and Alabama, so that's all second, third growth timber that was replanted 40, year, 40 50 years ago. The, the product that we're importing, this is very interesting. I didn't know this for a while until I traveled there, but the product that we're bringing, importing to the United States from Europe, yes, we import lumber, European spruce and Douglas fir from, from Europe. That was planted post-World War II in plantations in Germany, France, uh, and uh, Austria, and now is being brought to the market today in the United States and will be replanted again for the, and, and harvested 40 years in the future at some other point time so it's just a different thought process it's it's you know corn you harvest you plant and harvest in one in one year lumber you plant and harvest in somewhere between 30 and 50 years depending on the climate oh so that's that was going to be my question is how long is that gestation period so it's about that yep. 30 to 50 year range it yep. is very different from your crops when we think about normal farms it's that same year right you mm -hmm. plant it in the spring you get it in the summer in the fall you repeat you rinse and repeat this is this is different so then if that means let's call it 50 years can you only cut down two percent of the trees every year right like one out of 50 in order for it to last on average 50 years what's that that yeah, ratio question. i'm not sure that i have enough information to give you a really solid answer in regard to that i do know that like right now we have, from a forestry perspective, we have way more forest than what we have capacity to cut. So we don't even have uh, what, what we would be allowed to cut in any given year. We don't necessarily have the infrastructure, the sawmills in place to go do it. So like it's um, just a tremendous amount of supply here in North America. You're saying there's too many trees. Yeah, for the amount that we could, if we really wanted to, to, to go out there and harvest it. But again, it's not about too many trees and getting rid of them. It's great for our environment. Like we as a industry have done a very poor service in regard to going and providing information and education in regard to the carbon, carbon neutral, let alone, right. let's right. say carbon negative um, industry that we currently are in. The current hedging, what are you doing right now? What are your industry colleagues doing right now based on what you think lumber prices might do and what you think demand will be for either you know repair and rebuilds or new construction how are you how are you playing that institutionally within the business right now yeah so um so we are recommending our clients today if they have any business that has been contracted or has been put on a pen and paper in regard to they have an official start commitment from their customer anytime between now 
in the middle of next year, all of that business should be covered. Like we do not recommend anybody, you know, going out there and, and, and being short on any fiber. Uh, we believe lumber prices, the, that what I call the great reset, we have overcorrected to the downside and we are going to um, um, see, see substantial changes as we move forward. I think generally speaking, the industry is very apathetic because that reset took almost a two year period, 21 months. Right. And we've been trading at a very, very narrow trading range for the last eight months, like within 10%. And like a lot of people are that, that creates apathy. They don't feel like there's any need. There's no upside risk. Unfortunately, people have psychology, right? They have short memories and they don't necessarily plan ahead. Well, that to me is like this price consolidation. It, it, it only brings two things, a breakdown or a breakout. And we've already broken down to where we currently are today. And unless there's, you know, a major geopolitical event that's going to create um, the big R word in one, one major fashion, I don't see the breakdown. Um, so therefore, I think it's best for us looking at, you know, generally speaking, where the price is today, the upside risk is great and therefore should be taken off the table. What should a normal person who might want to try to invest this. Maybe they've dabbled in commodities trading and some gold, some oil, something like that. Hey, I want to take advantage of lumber, timber. Is it farmland? Is there a good investment opportunity here for a normal retail investor or do they need to steer clear? So um, I think there's two ways to look at it, like just as in any investment. There's short-term uh, opportunity and there's long-term investment. So short-term opportunity lumber prices today are very, very low. So going and buying a lumber contract on the CME today or buying a uh, uh, builder stock or buying the wood ETF, um, getting exposure to the marketplace on that short term, uh, buying a you know one of the big boxes, whatever it might be, those are good short-term opportunities. I think from a long-term perspective, you gotta look at a little bit bigger picture and what's the future of building gonna look like and where would you wanna put those dollars inside of the overall segment. Um, lumber is going to challenge steel and concrete over the next 50 years. Like they will take some of steel and concrete's market share away. Why? Uh, because there's been great advancement into uh, multifamily and tall building construction in regard to lumber. Like today, I think the new codes in the United States, they can build up to an 18-story building with cross-laminated timber. Um, in Europe, I know it's already higher, and I believe they, they are targeting by 2030, they'll be above 50 stories high um, with cross-laminated timber. So this can really change, uh, you know, what's going to happen. And we talked about earlier today, like what's the general sentiment of the consumer? It's to become greener, right? And if lumber, right. which captures all of the carbon for 100 plus years, um, it's a great opportunity, a great business to possibly uh, invest in. So um, I would be looking at, you know, any of the, the timber land REITs, uh, some of the other things that are there from a long-term perspective for carbon offsets. Um, see, like I mentioned, cross-laminated timber and some of the major uh, um, organizations that have uh, invested there. Um, those um, are, I think, where the future is in the wood products business from a from a bigger scale as opposed to the single family home construction. All right, there, there's a lot to unpack. That was really good. So, so work with me as I go slowly here. So, lumber will challenge steel and concrete. I maybe thought it would go the other direction. I thought that we'd start to see single family homes being made out of steel and concrete and that we'd, we would get away from, from lumber. And I would have thought that someone would say, I'm trying to be green, right? Like, so we know people want to be more green. So I don't want to cut down a tree, right? Like I don't want to kill something in nature, but then you're saying, no, it's actually, it's capturing the carbon. Yeah, right? it's, 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 it's better for us to cut down that tree than allow a bolt of lightning to start a forest fire and then it to burn in the atmosphere. So if we manage our manage our forests appropriately, we can provide better access to go and limit the amount of forest fires and, and that also that pump carbon into the air. And uh, and and by doing taking that fiber and putting it into a usable product. Um, we're capturing that carbon for a, a long period of time and it's not going into our atmosphere. So uh, lumber, even though we went to these extraordinarily high prices during COVID, we all 
talked about how they were not sustainable. And they're not. But it doesn't mean we can't go back there again. It's just we're not going to go back there for long lengths of time. Steel is still extremely much, you know, from a cost structure, it's still a lot, lot higher um, per ton relative to lumber. So you're going to, if, if you can uh, engineer a product that's going to uh, compete with steel uh, on a, a high level and reduce waste and capture car carbon, uh, then I think from an environmental perspective, uh, there's some really, really big gains to be had. Is it the idea that literally the carbon is in the wood itself? Like we've captured it into the structure of the fiber? Is that what we're talking about? The no, I think like you talk about carbon and generally speaking, it's like what you pump into the atmosphere, right? Like, so if you burn something, if you burn fuel, you burn right. yeah, anything, that those chemicals are going into the atmosphere. That car, that CO2 is going into the atmosphere, right? So now that CO2 has no opportunity to become CO2 if the carbon is sitting in that in that well, the walls of that building, uh, the structure of that building. Um, so it's a true like it's solid carbon. carbon. It's a solid carbon yeah. and not gas right. now. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Then what about people who think, okay, maybe I'm going to become a, a land buyer. I'm going to be, you know, maybe I'm not one of the 20 biggest landowners, but, but I have some acres or I can go buy some land in the middle of nowhere, plant some trees and, and wait 40 years for my payoff, a long-term investment. Is that a reasonable strategy for anybody or is that an institutional only type of That's, Yeah, I think it's an institutional. <laughs> Ironically, the, uh, the largest landowner in the United States, he, uh, just started this in like the early 1950s. So over a 60, 70 year, this Red, the Red Emerson, the Emerson family, they're okay. based out of uh, Northern California. The organization that they manage is called Sierra Pacific Industries. Um, just a great, great family. Um, we do a lot of business with them. And uh, <clears throat> yes, it can be done, but it has to be, they, they didn't buy the land in, in thinking that the investment was going to, to necessarily pay off over a long period of time. They bought the land with the intention to go and manage the forest and turn it into a product and sell. So like, it's a little bit different, you know, context, but you know, uh, there's, there's others that uh, have diversified their portfolios, whether it be Ted Turner or the Koch brothers or what have you, or large landowners. Um, it's just, it's really interesting in the, in the way that they look. Um, but it's done over it's done over a long period of time. It's not something that happens, you know. It's not a one-off. If you go and buy a hundred acres in uh, northern New Jersey or in uh, Pennsylvania, I don't believe you're going to be a uh, uh, provide a lot of value to the timber industry at that point. <laughs> just from from it's just too small. Like your acreage isn't enough to make a difference, or is it also the number of years it would take? Is both. it's both of yeah, those? Things. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think you you would have to look at some other things uh, to diversify. Whether you'd have mineral mineral rights or some other other opportunities to provide cash flow to the property in order to do it. I've heard of Bill Gates owns a lot of land too. Maybe bought a lot of farmland. Um, I've heard about the Chinese are trying to come in and buy a lot of U.S. farmland as well. And there's some controversy about how much we should be allowing them. Are you hearing about that too? Yeah, I'm not so familiar because I'm not so big into agriculture, but that okay. would not surprise me. The super tall buildings, right? You, you don't think of wood going up past maybe a five-story building, right? You, right. They always say 18, maybe it's 30, maybe it's 50 stories high. Is there going to be any steel in these buildings, any concrete, or the whole thing would be wood? Like, or, like so, a house you, know, you, have, wood. you would have a combination of both. Like, so there's a project today. I think it's a 25-story building in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that has 18 stories of just CLT. The bottom five stories are mixed concrete and steel. And so, you know, well, that, so if you think about it, that building is 75% wood. And uh, therefore, you're offsetting a lot more carbon than you would have by having the steel. Like to make to produce steel, it requires a lot of carbon dioxide that gets pumped in the atmosphere, right? So, and uh, likewise with uh, um, other products. So, you want to make sure that you know if you're in fact looking for opportunities uh, to be a steward to the environment. And this is these are some other options to go through. And I think generally speaking, we as a society are leaning towards ways to become greener, right? And um, whether it become electrification of cars to, you know, building uh, with lumber and looking at other uh, ways to offset um, these, uh, these, the carbon sequest sequestering more carbon. 
my my local lumber yard it's a similar like fourth or fifth generation family over here and he told me once he said actually the new engineered wood is more fireproof than steel and right. i just couldn't believe that because you think of wood is the first thing that burns and steel wouldn't but he said yeah. that's not true yeah so i i could forward you i'll send you some information in regard to clt there's a great couple great websites for inf information it's at from a fire perspective it's safer than steel it, it, how it, is that possible be, the, from what i understand it is the way that they cross laminate it and they compress the material there's just very little opportunity to become combustible so um it's it's quite quite interesting i don't know the exact science behind it but from a um from a fire code perspective cross laminate timber is uh, safer than steel so there's a point of view that someone could have that says well i don't know if i don't know if you know the economy's going to do better but i think wood's going to take share from steel and concrete so even if we have a shrinking economy let's say it doesn't grow as much but like the milwaukee building is a good example you're going to get more lumber being used in different places so this this could be a lumber investment that's more even a share stealing kind of game than it is a macro growth kind of game correct and the the other part of what's happening today in regards to the way that lumber and these projects are getting engineered there's not a tremendous like if you thought, look at what was the biggest problem that we had during the pandemic when we shot up to 1.7 just under 1.8 million housing starts we didn't have enough labor to really go and take care of that demand uh, and we're likely not going to see a tremendous amount of increase in construction jobs over time. Those there's, they've been very, very flat over the recent years. Um, they lost a lot during the downturn in 2008 and through 2012. But that being said, we have rebounded and, and stabilized. But the growth opportunity is probably not there because we don't have the labor to go out there and build 1.7 plus million homes or do these other projects or what have you. So what we're seeing now in particular, I'll go stay focused on uh, CLT, these jobs are fabricated. These buildings are fabricated at the manufacturer, meaning that they are built to spec and they are essentially like an erector set or a Lego uh, set. And they are basically just put together right on the job site. So there's zero waste. So, so very, very little uh, time that goes into the actual erection of these uh, these projects. The finish work, obviously, that's where you'd probably see the waste. But, you know, like seeing a job site in New York City with a bunch of steel beams and a lot of welding going on and things of that nature and dumpsters being full of, you know, waste from the material that's being used, uh, um, you just don't have that. And it, it lowers the labor costs substantially um, as you scale uh, the size of these buildings. You're mentioning this engineered wood, right? The the laminated, it's it's probably dense and thick. Maybe it's the air is taken out yep. and, and put together. But would you personally want to live in a building like that? Or you always hear the story about floors. Do I want the real hardwood floors or do I want the engineered laminate, right? Now you're talking about it from the structure. There's always this appeal, the myth of the true hardwood and not the constructed, you know, constructed engineered work. Is that changing? What's your personal point of view on that? I think it depends on the application, right? So like what you're talking about is like, do I want the engineered laminated floor uh, that was produced possibly in China or somewhere else? And I don't really know, you know, what's the quality of that versus a real, you know, hickory or red oak hardwood floor. Like personally, I want the real stuff like in, for that finish work. When it comes to construction, Though, if I'm going to build a home today, there's going to be a high percentage of the product that I use that will be engineered wood because I'm not going to see it, but it's going to keep my floor. My floor is going to be flatter. My walls are going to be straighter. And I'm not going to walk, you know, like I walk in my mom and dad's house down the steps and you hear creak, 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 creak. That's not going to happen because I'm using an engineered <laughs> lumber product and that doesn't doesn't do that. Right. But, you know, solid wood did do that. And the, the house that my mom and dad live in is over 100 years old. So I got to live with it. Right. But I, I couldn't sneak around much as a kid. But today, my kids are going to probably be able to sneak around really easily without us hearing them because they, that's not going to happen. That's true. That's that's a good point. I got the old creaky wood over here, too. Where you, you the settling cracks that pop in every once in a while in the drywall. And I'm like. This house is 60 years old. Why is it still settling? That should have been yeah. done after five years. Yeah. So like to me, like in the, the grand scheme of things, I don't think it really matters because the lumber is being it's it's being consumed. The carbon's being captured. 
the, the key is, is where would you want it in application? And a lot of the things, you know, why you would use a laminate product in a finished thing, it depends on, uh, you know, person's taste, the availability of the other product, their budget, what, you know, budgetary reasons are, are, are for that. So what it's provided is in a much, for many people, a much more expensive look at a much lower cost structure. So um, that's a good thing, I think, more than a bad thing. And then lastly, there are all these different kinds of woods that you mentioned, right? The hickory and oak and fir and cedar. And, and I, I don't know, right? But And I feel like I'm a normal person. You talk to a contractor or the flooring guy or you go to Home Depot. We get all these different woods. This is from Oregon. This is from Europe. What, what am I supposed to do here, right? Because they have different prices. You always feel like someone that knows more information than you is trying to rip you off. Which wood should I be using for what kinds of projects? And you know, what wood should I always be steering away from? So from a construction standpoint, you should just use the one that, 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 um, that meets the application. If it meets the grade and the codes of your current market, whether it's, not, whether it's a two by four uh, eight foot, I'll go back to that, two by four eight foot premium dug fur in your northern New Jersey market or a two by four eight foot number two southern yellow pine. It doesn't matter. Both will work in the same application in most cases, depending on on local codes or what whatnot. So, to me, if it's going to be in the inside of a wall, I would use the item that's going to cost the least amount if it's going to continue to still work. From an engineered lumber perspective, it's all about the system and making sure that you have the right system for the application of the house and you know what what are the um, goals that you would want to have when you're building your home. But as far as general. Um, framing um, where you're using solid sawn lumber, um, use the grade that the code allows. And uh, appearance is one thing and uh, uh, um, doing the job is another. So I'd be leaning towards doing the job. And then lastly, just because I'm looking at your background of all these trees, although those trees, I don't think you can make two by fours out of these these trees. You would be surprised. I was in a sawmill uh, quite a while ago, uh, pre-pandemic, and I don't believe that they um, saw it anything larger than six inches in diameter, and we're producing a tremendous amount of two by four and two by three out of those. So, um, you know, you know, quite uh, amazing in regard to the technology that's in the forest today and how much uh, recovery they can get out of very little fiber. Because I was going to say, what is just one tree? Let's say it's a forty-year-old tree. You can pick which kind of tree it is, but how much money is that one tree worth? Like how many two by fours can you extract from it? Give me a sense of scale of, you know, you can get this many two by four eights. It's you know, worth this much money or you know, the product is sold for this much. What is the scale of just a single tree? So I'll, give you, I'll just use an example from one of my yeah. most recent trips in, in Germany. Uh, I was at a, a European sawmill um, and they saw just one specific log size. Um, five meter long logs, typically somewhere between eight and 10 inches in diameter. Um, so that five meters is just above 16 feet. So you're going to produce uh, roughly 20 two by four 16s out of that one single log. And then all the sideboards would go into something else. The sawdust would go into something else. And some of the sawdust would go into a cogeneration plant that would be regenerating the energy that's running the sawmill. So the, it's very, very uh, um, interesting, the technology that's in place today. And, and in that sawmill today, uh, there's one person operating it and it's, and it's producing, I think it was producing that in a, in a single shift, something like um, 10 cars, 50, 20 cars of lumber, which is around, yeah, well, no, I'm sorry, five, fifth, five to 8 million board feet a, a day. So just spitting out tremendous volume. I'm sorry to put you on the spot with that, that quick arithmetic there. Um, yeah, I guess if you could back out, I don't have the, on the top of my head, like, okay, if you can make that many two by four eights so, and one so tree. So, so yeah. I'll put it in perspective. It's producing, yeah. I'll put it in truckload quantities. Sure. And I'm talking tractor trailer loads of lumber going down the yeah. highway. For every million board feet, that's 40 truckloads of lumber. So if it did five, that's 200 truckloads of lumber in that day. Okay. And how much is a truckload? I'm just trying to get a sense for like when I see one truck or one tree in my head, this is worth, you know, $1,000, $10,000, $100,000. Like what is the scale of just one unit? So today, if you go look at, I'll just give you an example. 
yeah. using using the Chicago Mercantile Lumber Futures contract. So if you want to use that as a benchmark to understand what lumber is, that contract is measuring what a truckload of lumber is worth delivered to Chicago at some point in the future. Okay. And it's looking at multiple species, SPF, Douglas fir, and hemp fir. But we'll, we'll go back. So that's 27,500 board feet. And today, I don't know what it closed at, but I think it closed at roughly, you know, the July contract or January contract was roughly 540. But let's just round it down to 500. That means that 27,500 board feet is worth, uh, just do the quick, exactly half that. So... 27,500 divided by, or times 0.5 is $13,750. That's what a truck, a trailer load of lumber would cost based off of the benchmark. Okay. 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 That's helpful. That's that's the pure commodity price, right? Right. There's so many other things that a sawmill makes higher and lower on the, on the grading scale. And then lastly, I forgot to mention when we were talking about the hedging, how far out are your hedges? Are you looking at just the next six months? Or do you have two year, three or four year futures on? What's the kind of the, the curve, that commodity curve you're looking right. at? Right, it, it typically I would, we would only go out two contracts. So we're essentially going out six months okay. um, on the contract side, but we will take business depending on what the forward curve looks like. We'll take business as far as two years out and then hedge that, but we'll be using the front part of the curve to stay closer to the market. And particularly due to liquidity concerns, you just don't have the liquidity the further you go out. Right, right. There's, there's way more illiquid on those longer dated yeah. curves. Kyle, this, this is great. I don't know how many people stuck with us for this whole conversation about lumber economics and, and the micro and macro, but I, I'm certainly interested the entire time. There's, there's so much. I did not grow up like you, like fourth generation lumberman. I've got zero generation, so I have no idea. I'm sure these were very basic questions too, but I appreciate you just being patient with me and walking me through some of these answers. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you. Thanks again to my guest, Kyle Little, COO of Sherwood Lumber. Again, if you want more information, go to the wealthyon.com website. You can find all the resources. You can get more information about what you've seen here in other episodes as well. And if you're listening to this thinking you might need some financial help, you can go to wealthyon.com too and fill out a short form there and we can connect you with investment advisors, wealth management people that we endorse that work with the Wealthy on platform. So if you're looking for somebody to talk to, that's a free service that we provide. There's you know, no obligation. It's just a consultation. You can just talk with them and talk about your needs. Like if you want to invest in lumber or timber or farmland, or maybe just basic stocks and bonds too. That's, that's all part of it. So go to wealthyon.com for that. Thanks again for watching. I'm Eric Chemi and we'll see you next time.